Chapter 4, Untethered General Kilhaven, this is Dr. Alina Watterson. The Medicaid has begun revival procedures for your son. In 90 days, he will be evacuated from suspended animation. What are his chances of survival? High. His vital signs have stabilized over the past six months and are growing stronger. We are feeding him high-growth nutrients, and so far he hasn't reacted badly to the muscle and bone stimulant fields. If this continues, he will come out physically stronger than he went in. Physically, but what about mentally? That is up to Parrick. We can't guarantee his psychological stability. There's no telling how he rode out a year in total isolation. That can have a damaging effect, even if he was unconscious through it all. Well, Doctor, I can vouch for the effect it has had on his mother. Thank you for the update. Please keep us informed of any changes. I wasn't the only ghost in the machine. Every day I hunted, both above and below ground zero. I started within the pit and worked my way back and forth across the enormous stack of cities, learning the ins and outs of every sector as I searched for Kisco and Zax. Beyond the plascrete and polysteel, the hive was vulnerable to any one of a hundred catastrophic failures, and yet it persisted for thousands upon thousands of years. Every critical system had built-in redundancies, billions of sensors, and powerful sentient agents living within it to ensure optimum performance. After not seeing any sign of the warp creatures for a week, I felt the rattle of cosmic chains as the unwanted entities crossed the veil again. It was my soul they were piercing to sneak in. I went after Kisco first. Xaxes was a predator, not a fighter. The warp hunter always took its best shot and moved on, avoiding any potential counter-strikes. Kisco was more territorial and knew how to defend itself, Neither of us held back in the brawl that ensued, and I learned a painful lesson on how to block and dodge its claws before they could inject their pain-filled poison or steal away my life. I finally forced Kisco to submit, and it cowered in the bottom of the pit, its energy spent. It flashed an image of Zaxay's stalking its prey. I sought an additional prize from Kisco. Teach me to hide. I pressed an image of Zax fading into the background, becoming virtually invisible. An image filled my mind of me fading into the background with only my eyes remaining, blinking like silver stars. I pointed toward the Medicaid ward miles above us. Will this work on my physical body? Kisco touched a rotting cadaver and it faded from sight. I touched it, and it came back. I perceived the method. It was an illusion, a subtle movement of the visible energy around it. Kisco bowed. Leave. It did, dragging its chain behind it. Following my usual routine, I went to visit my hounds. The canine's energy seemed to bounce back quickly, perhaps with their next meal. I didn't know why they were there, but I preferred that they slept. I tapped the nearby video sensor as I went, hitting it with bursts of white noise until it locked up completely. Only rarely would I linger in the alleyway, waiting for another tech to show up. This time a husky fellow with a yellow-hued aura arrived. He had a solid frame and a menacingly familiar face. They'd called him Finlow down in Sector 100B after he'd blasted me flat. I fought the urge to remain hidden with the sleeping hounds and crept out, knowing the man was right around the corner. He'd never given me any warning before and I didn't have any favor to return. I simply swept right through him as he focused on the defective sensor module. He crumpled as I cleared the next corner. I stopped there for a second, scanning in every direction around me. Zax was nearby, as were three others, another yellow and two blues. Each carried a different tint of corruption. The door panel to the kennel had popped open, 
but the animal slept on. I pointed at the prone tech, giving the hound's life energy a landing spot, and sent enough of it back to wake up the dogs. The effect was immediate, the growls intense, and I bolted away rather than witness the results. Grabbing Zax by the ethereal collar, I led him in a loop back around to the alley, coming in from the small, dimly lit plaza. A few turns ahead, the three tainted auras were doing their best to force the dogs back into their pen. Two of the canines had been shot dead, while the other four were shocked and prodded away from the wounded tech. It was touch and go for them as a pair of rogue silvers struck them from behind. I made sure to drain the dogs, too, in case they hadn't been properly fed for a while. Zax had punched out one of the blues, leaving the man writhing in pain, while I had simply harvested a handful of energy from the other two, knocking them both cold. The energy of the humans clashed with that of the warp creatures, and vice versa. As the hunter's dumping ground for trophies, the pit was littered with stale colors of stolen energy. Some even seemed to be attached to the weapons or corpses found there. I couldn't bring myself to touch any of it. I was filled with an unsettling mix of blue and yellow energy, and the world around me felt like the edge of a knife. I snagged Zax's one more time and pressed the image of a blade against its neck. How do I banish you forever? Zax gave me the equivalent of a mental shrug. My soul was simply a door through which it entered or left our dimension at its own impulse. Either I was asking the wrong question or the wrong beast. I tried again. What haven't you shown me? An image of four underhive agents sprawled in a back alley faded to a man bathed in green light. I recognized the face of Lalo, the boss of the underhive enforcers. I took it as a warning. I've met him twice. We aren't friends. Zaxay shrugged and left through the back door of my mind, leaving me alone with my thoughts. Zax was never a friend either. He wasn't even a real part of the universe in which I lived. Perhaps that explained my fixation with the hounds. I'd never been around any animals before, but I could reach out and feel another living being, coaxing some of their energy to depart with me and keep me company for the day as I explored the endlessly complex sectors of Hydra Secundus. My city was one of six sister hive structures in the Hydra Cluster. The cities were incredibly old and built to withstand the hostile atmosphere of a planet rich in resources. Fulcrum IV's output and population density had grown in parallel over dozens of centuries, as it kept up with the Imperium's ever-changing demands. The ongoing rift between local and other world concerns created a daunting challenge when it came to politics and conformity. The Imperium was built upon rigid adherence to laws and long-sought stability. As such, hive cities throughout the galaxy were some of its most successful and enduring creations. Still, there was a price to be paid for survival, and any aberrations from the norm were strictly outlawed. Anything resembling chaos was hunted and eradicated at any cost. The governor and numerous noble houses held residences within the exclusive overhive sectors of the cluster, while each underhive had a different, far less sanctioned overlord running its domain. To guarantee the survival of the entire cluster, the noble houses acted as overseers, administering their individual functions with utmost authority. The noble families were immensely powerful and utterly protective of their bloodlines and anonymity for reasons of personal security. It took an act of supreme folly or brazen disregard for one's well-being to threaten the life of a noble. Ignorance was never an excuse, and in the end seldom the case. The layered hive stack was divided socially as well as functionally. Nobles could venture out from their overhive bastions, 
but only a select list of citizens could enter our world without a formal invitation. Ground Zero was another key dividing line, and usually the uppermost limit for those born into the lower levels of society. It also acted as a lower limit for most of those in the upper half, though more by individual choice than decree. Upper-crust thrill-seekers would often test the depths of the more dangerous entertainment districts, but their prevalent use of bodyguards usually gave their privileged status away and ruined the effect. Untethered, I was in a rare position, free to invisibly roam wherever I chose. I didn't have any friends to ring me or reel me in. I could cross almost any line, and no one would ever notice. Nobody was there to make sure that I found my way home. Any hangovers would be suffered alone. I understood the colors of corruption as weapons, but couldn't overcome the emotional state they left inside me. The eager aggression, the urge to lash out using the talents offered, was addicting. I'd harmed strangers and foes alike. I'd slept in a pit with rotten cadavers, feeling more at home there than in my own body. I'd stared through the eyes of the dead and caught glimpses of silver in an unreal mirror. I'd unleashed the hounds to complete a simple trap, and two of them had been shot dead. I'd been smart enough not to name them, and now I felt regret. At the ripe age of seventeen, it was a first for me. I was going stir-crazy. I needed to reach the end of this bad trip so that I could sort things out and leave the nightmare behind for good. All the doors in my mind had slammed shut except one, and it remained open for the most dangerous beast I'd ever met. I spied the change like a light at the end of a dark tunnel. I dialed back my hunting trips in the subhive, conserving my energy for the journey home. The vat mixture had become more potent, and my mind was becoming more attached to the body within it. In a way I had died when the warp creatures first tore through me and ripped my astral body away from the physical one. My soul still existed as a connection between the two, but I would need time to get used to the old place. The end came even quicker than expected. The hangover was real, and I spent an entire day vomiting and coughing vat chemicals out of my system. The Medicaid attendants told me that the purging record was one week, and I graciously declined any attempt to break it. On day two, my older brother Ramsey arrived to greet me and filter through the Medicaid scene for my family. My father was in orbit for another week, working on a contract with the Astra Militarum. He'd be back in time for the party. Miraculously, with Ramsey guiding me every step of the way, I took a walk down the ward's long, low-arched hallway. My eyes had suffered the worst of it in the vat, and my vision was still a bit shiny. Everything seemed to glow, even Ram. The ward's lighting was soothing and indirect, and we did a couple laps back and forth, rolling a docile host of monitors with us. You're taller, and you need a haircut. Ram's first remark was kind for the natural sound it made against my ears and the familiarity it brought with it. I was taller than Ram, and I outweighed him too. I'd never carried enough muscle on my frame until now. The last round that they'd served me in the vat had been a double. I feel good. I felt like throwing up again, but I let that slide. I had new things to fear. Real things. How's mom? You don't want to know. I'm heading home right after I call father. I'll let them all know that you can speak in full sentences. My brother wasn't telling me something important, but he didn't seem too upset. I doubted anyone close to us had died. Ram, the night is young. What have I missed? He sighed. Parak, your slot with the PDF OIT was denied. 
They gave it to Court McNeil. The officer in training program was the next step on my path back to a preordained life. The news hit me like a wet blanket. It sucked at first, but quickly became a lot worse as it soaked in. It was my spot for the taking. How could the general let that happen? The general was our father. Not many clung to a higher rung on Fulcrum 4. Ramsey had walked through the doors of OIT at 18, and within 10 years had risen up the ranks to PDF Commander-in-Charge of Spaceport Security. He'd been given the dirty detail of breaking the bad news to me. He didn't have a choice. The Medicaid's report disqualified you from serving due to your history of psychotic episodes, and the fact that, at the time of review, you weren't even expected to live. Zach's and Kisco were psychotic episodes. I'd be sure to tell them next time they popped in. Case solved. I'd survived the worst ordeal of my life, only to find it was over in every way that mattered to me. I bet I wouldn't even be allowed to use a gun to end my miserable existence. I knew the PDF regulations front to back. Psychos had a strictly limited choice of weapons. Ramsey knew the look on my face. Not having any answers, he frowned. Take one day at a time, Parrick. You've gone through enough. There's more, isn't there? I've given you the worst of it, I promise. Ramsey smiled as only a big brother could and added, Maybe. I was on my feet and filling up with rage, but the PDF was more than correct to shut me down. From my long hair to my bare feet, I was sure to disappoint everyone in every way. Ram, I never found it. Found what? The face of the Emperor. Not with those eyes, little brother. Now get some rest. Dr. Alina Watterson gave me more good news. It's a rare side effect of the suspended animation process. A not-so-subtle bleaching of the iris. We can implant any new color that you'd like. My vision had sharpened, yet it retained a lingering glow. The mirror showed a pair of silvery-gray eyes. Before the episode, they'd been dark blue. It had been a good look, and now that I had another, I'd keep it. Besides, they matched the exotic scars that had risen on each of my shoulders. Embrace the freak. Doc, about last night, I don't know what happened to the heart monitor or how I ended up on the floor. Coming out of the vat, some disconnect is normal. We can try night restraints until your sleep patterns adjust, but only if you are willing. Can I let myself out of them when I wake up? Certainly. The point is to make sure you're fully awake before you step out of bed. We'll send a set home with you, too, just in case. Dr. Watterson, am I okay? Parrick, I wish I could say yes, but I've been looking after you for more than a year, and I still don't understand how you survived. Did the vat help? It kept you alive, but it isn't magic. It can help regrow muscle and bone and halt any further damage, but it can't replace burned-out nerve functions. With the burn scars on your shoulders and the initial damage to your system, we assumed that you'd been violently electrocuted. It was a miracle that your heart could stutter, let alone beat. Whoever put those metacuffs on you saved your life. They didn't know who or what they were dealing with, so they'd hedged. I could only do the same. 